0: Hey, we're back with part three of our four-part series on Oak Island. Uh, Before we get into it, I just wanted to quickly remind everyone that we actually have a free app in the App Store for the iPhone and also for your Android. It's the easiest way to keep up with the show. So if you've stumbled across it any other way and you find that way annoying, which some people feel that way. Well,
1: they don't like iTunes or they don't like another platform or they think it's hard to find. Because, Scott, that's the biggest question that people always ask me when I tell them I'm doing a podcast, they say. Well, how can I get it? And it's like, well, the easiest way is just to download the app to your mobile device. So, your phone or your tablet, whatever that might be, it pushes the new episodes
0: automatically. So you already got them right when they get released. It lets you know. Pretty much as soon as we've checked it, when we publish it, you'll get a notification if you have Yeah, within like a minute. Yeah, Yeah, within like a minute. It says that new one's up. So we encourage you to go and check it out. We also wanted to thank everybody who's responded to the survey so far. If you haven't heard us mention that, we have a very short survey that you can take from our homepage at astonishinglegends.com that's helping us attract sponsors. And we want to thank everyone who's already done it. And if you haven't done it, go do it. And you will – if you put your email in, which is not mandatory, but if you do, you'll be entered for a chance to win an Astonishing Legends hat free. Yeah, I wanted to stress
1: that too is that you don't have to put your email in. It's not mandatory, but it helps them confirm that this is a real entry and track the responses, but you will not be spammed. No, and we will
0: not be selling our email list to anyone at any point. It's no, no matter a, how desperate Scott gets, he was, <laughs> he's not going to do it. Yes, And we're pleased to report that we've actually attracted some sponsors and we're lining up some sponsorships going forward. So we're really excited about that. We want to thank everybody for helping us get this far. So getting back to the task at hand, part three of our show is going to complete the 220-year history of The Money Pit. Yes, from 1795
1: to the present day. That's right. And the reason we've turned this story into a four-part series is because we think that that's what it takes to adequately cover not only the history... But all of the great theories that are going to be coming up. And I don't know about you, Scott, but personally, I think that this is an important story. And if they ever do find out what's down there, I believe it could change the course of human history.
0: Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forest Burgess. This project,
1: when we get through with it, may or may not make us rich, but at least we will have
0: solved one of the world's greatest mysteries, David Tobias. Join us tonight as we take a look at the last 40 years on Oak Island, Nova Scotia. Okay, so I just want to reiterate that we wouldn't have been able to do this show as far as we've gotten without some very amazing books by some amazing authors. Uh, The one that I would like to credit personally is Darcy O'Connor. His book is called The Secret Treasure of Oak Island, The Amazing True Story of a Century's Old Treasure Hunt. That one's been published several times. The last update was, I think, 2004. And you can get to links to all of these books actually from the page on our website that's associated with uh, each episode of the podcast. There's actually a little Amazon click-through thing there where you can find any of the books we've mentioned and, and several that we haven't. Forrest, what's been uh, one of the more prominent books for you? That's, you have one there that you read years and years ago, right? Well, this is the one that got me
1: back into the story, the, really the first book that I ever uh, read about the entire history and story of The Money Pit. And it's called Oak Island Secrets by Mark Finnan. And so I yeah of course for the show I just recently reread it and it it really stands up it really takes all the dates and facts and weaves more of a story. So it's very enjoyable
0: reading. So I highly recommend it. Yes, and, and the book I mentioned is, is good reading as well. And one of the other ones we mentioned in the, the last episode as well is these two, which, which is a, more of a pam- pamphlet, as for us, like to say. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a booklet. Let's it, say a booklet. It was self-published. It's called The Oak Island Enigma by Thomas P. Leary. And uh, it's got some interesting information in it, although some of the facts probably haven't stood up to the test of history. Well,
1: you know what? You really have to look at several... Sources of material, because they'll all differ a little depending on who was there at the time and who's reporting and how well it's reported and facts that have come to light after that. So to get a clearer picture, if you're really into the story, I suggest getting a few Different sources of material, yeah. Get some perspectives and draw your own conclusions. That's what we do. That's yeah. uh, that's the definition of cursory reason well, I'm very good at faking it. So <laughs> you, you're doing a lot of work. I'm just kind of like hemming and hawing and oh, saying yes. Not true. So not true.
0: Uh, anyway, here we go. 19, well, mid 60s. We get to start with Bob Dunfield, or yeah. as I like to call him, Dunfield the Destroyer. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know you like the the coin phrases.
0: That is, uh, but he actually did destroy a lot of stuff. He, so it's
1: pretty accurate.
0: He was a disaster. For for the island and some of his um I, I believe some of his offspring are kind of irritated that he still referred to this way
1: oh well i don't know about the destroyer part but certainly he his he left a mark and many marks on the island which were not always great and not well respected or liked by the locals but he comes in immediately after uh, the tragedy with the rest of dolls. august yeah with the with the rest all robert the father and uh, bobby the son and two other gentlemen. And so, you know, again...
0: Who died. If yeah. you remember from uh, part two, and if you didn't hear part two, I would go back and check it out, and also part one, obviously. But uh, yeah, the rest all died on the island. Uh, yeah, four... Well, not, I mean, the father and the son died on
1: the yeah, island. Yeah, but four people working in that shaft within minutes uh, succumbed to hydrogen sulfide gas and ended up falling into the pit and drowning. And so within a matter of, yeah, just very quickly, there was tragedy... And not too long after, in comes Robert Dunfield, who works a deal with Mel Chapel, who's eager to get the digging back
0: on track. Yes, yeah, so one of the first things that Dunfield does, he he wants to the, his his tool of choice is a seventy-ton crane <laughs> with a ninety-foot boom on it. Yes, yeah, that can that can I guess it can uh, dig a hole two hundred feet deep by a hundred feet across.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. It's got a big clamshell, kind of a scoop on it, and it can move a lot of earth quickly. But he's a he's a California geologist for I think the petroleum industry. So you know he's made he's made a good deal of money. He's done a, you know, a lot of jobs, that he, and there's nothing that he thinks that he can't handle. Right. And again, just another person. This long line of hubris saying, "Well, it'll only be a well week and a half, two weeks, and I'll have this whole thing solved."
0: Right, so the very first step he takes is to take our beloved Oak Island and make it not an island anymore.
1: Well, you know what I that is one actual beneficial thing that he did is that he was able to because he he wanted to bring in all this heavy equipment, bulldozers, this 70-ton crane, he's also got a 110 gallon per hour water pump to keep the ocean out and to get all this onto the island without They're having right. any Huh? Theoretically.
0: <laughs> keep the ocean out. Everyone's been trying to keep the ocean out.
1: No, everyone, yeah. yes. Well, no, you've had to to do any work on there. You have to at least keep it at bay, so to speak, uh, while you're doing the work because uh, it's just going to keep filling up. But to get all this heavy equipment on there, this entire time leading up to 1965, if you had any kind of machinery you wanted on the island, you had to get it there by barge or boat. Right. And it's, a, it's heavy, it's cumbersome, it's hard to get it off the boat onto this little island. So that is one I would think beneficial thing that he He did do. He built a causeway. Yeah, 650-foot road, essentially, that goes from Crandall's Point on the tip there. And that little community there is called Western Shore. It's a little village or or community that's on the mainland. And then from Crandall's Point, the causeway goes to
0: the southwestern tip of the island. Yes. And it does prove to be useful for getting stuff on, including electricity, on and off of the island. Yes. However... It also will become a sore spot in the future. <laughs> oh, there's we'll a little battle, yes, yeah. which
1: is kind of funny and not funny. So. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, uh, but he gets on there and he just – this is extreme excavation with pretty much no regard for pre-existing landmarks, symbols. Uh, there's a couple of things that he did. For instance, the stone triangle that we mentioned in the earlier episodes, he pretty much destroyed that. One of the two drilled rocks, which had been there forever, was lost the, the only thing that was good was that everything had been marked and was previously noted. There was historical records that indicated where yeah, things were. Right. But I, he was just tearing up the island. Well, this is that's his
1: approach. He's a petroleum geologist. And so his method is like, well, just dig the crap out of it. Forget all of the subtle clues and the directions. That's one way to get at it. Just tear it apart. So he ends up – I think two bulldozers clear out 10 to 12 feet of earth around the top of the pit – it exposes the old cribbing and shafts, but one thing he couldn't outdo was water and nature because right. they dig this giant pit, he still has trouble keeping the water out, and the erosion from the from a heavy rainfall causes partial collapses on the pit, so you know so he's getting frustrated, he still can't keep out the water also from the south shore, and that's where I think you mentioned that he decides well, guess what i'm one, I'm going to dump a bunch of clay and dirt onto the Smith's Cove. Finger drains. He just he just tears those out. So yes. there's no uh, there's no evidence of those anymore. And then I think he digs a he digs a trench on the south shore, trying to block that entrance. And that thing's like fifty feet long by twenty feet wide. Right. And thus he destroys the stone triangle, which we called a sextant. Which uh, some folks, when they saw it, looked like it it was an old. Ship's navigational device. Yes.
0: Others have said, oh, it's yeah. a sailboat. But I think oh. it's more likely a sailboat. <laughs> well, no, it has, the, yeah, it has the round bottom Sailbus on that. Sailboats didn't really look
1: like that. No, it looks like a kid's drawing of a sailboat. Yeah. And, and really, this had the the main line through it. Look, these are all clues that could be useful for something. tearing out. Yeah, he just, you know, didn't think much of it. Like, well, hey, you don't need clues if you're just going to rip again, rip down through the uh the chessboard as we've uh yes. as we
0: said before. Well, and the the other thing is, he also has repeated mechanical problems. Lots of issues which lots of Oak Island gremlins are having wreaking havoc with his machinery. Equipment's not starting, lines are being cut. There's speculation that it was local fishermen uh, people who were irritated at the fact that the channel was now blocked yeah. and they had to go around the island which you know it's not a big island so oh, it's a like right. huge imposition but that was an issue for yeah. for the trade in the area and a lot of people who were upset about what he was doing to the island cuz i mean it's basically it's he's, disrespectful he's a pit miner, yeah. you know right he's just he's just carving
1: that place up and you know just naturally by itself there's a lot of archaeological
0: value to what's been left there right However, he did find some stuff. And one of the things he found, I guess it enforced maybe you have the specifics on this. He was drilling down just like the others had
1: before. So, But he's, his drill is going through uh, bedrock. And it's limestone. So they're able to drill through it. And at about 140 feet – Wait, is it limestone or bedrock? Or are
0: those the same thing? Yes, it's limestone bedrock. Okay. Sorry. See, that's how much geology <laughs> I know. Well <laughs> – I thought bedrock was a lot harder than limestone. Well,
1: that's uh, it, well, it could be bedrock. Can be uh, a, a made out of anything. It could be granite. It depends on oh, the geological. Oh, it's a bedrock. Well, and then you think there's loose. It's not real loose, but it's hard. It's soil that's on top of that. Whatever volcano was laying down that lava, that's the baseline of that. And then it's loose topsoil, which in this case is a lot of glacial till because it's so far north. You get a lot of uh, rocks and boulders. So the bedrock is made out of limestone, and the bit of the
0: drill. Goes through this is a revelation for me. Yeah. I have I'm forty five years old. Alright, I'm gonna just going to go ahead and cop to that. <laughs> you don't look a day it over forty four. Thank you. It didn't it didn't occur to me that bedrock wasn't what the rock was made of. It's a description <laughs> it's the, of where it lies yes, or how it lies. Right. I've learned something. Well, thank uh, you. That's exciting. No, I'm going to blame the Flintstones, <laughs> which was <laughs> your era, for
1: misguiding you. It's not my and, era. Uh, it was well, well into reruns really?
0: for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, your era. Yeah, old man. A little
1: bit before that, yeah. but a lot of uh, misguided geological terms I, I blame on that show. All right. So, no, it's whatever the um, uh, geological rift or volcano is laying down the molten rock that's coming up. That is the bed of that, and then, as glaciers scrub over the land as they're moving very slowly, are creating like small pebbles, boulders, rounded stones this is and what you refer dirt.
0: to as glacial till
1: yes exactly okay. and 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 that comes up later. The reason I mention that is because some folks think that. Everything they're finding in there, the timbers and whatnot, is just that, just ground yeah, up. the skeptics. Yes. Uh, underneath that giant sheet of ice, it's all being ground up, and that's what you're finding. When they farm, that's what they're farming in is the, uh, the topsoil. Right. And when you had the dust bowl, that's what all dried up and blew away. So anyway, so he, yeah, so he's drilling down, and at 140 feet, the drill bit goes into a cavity. Now, to picture this correctly, he, the bit first goes through two feet of wood. So they think there's a two-foot wooden roof. And I don't know if we've ever... At the top of this room. At the top of this cavity, which they believe is 45 feet high. That's four and a half stories. Yeah. To the top of the ceiling in your house is probably about eight feet, right? Unless you have a vaulted ceiling. So imagine that, four and a half times that. And then it drops... So it drops down 45 feet and then hits metal of some kind. So we're in probably what's a natural... Or possibly carved out by man. But it's it's either way, it's been
0: reinforced.
1: It's been reinforced. And I don't know if you've ever picked up two feet of wood. That's really heavy. Yeah. For something to be used as a ceiling in this giant cavity. Right. And the way the way they know that is that as the drill bit comes up, as the auger comes up, it's picking up coring samples so they can see what they've drilled through and they can test it. And then oh talk about Scott, talk about the other thing that he found when he was destroying the South Shore Cove. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought you were going to talk. Wait, which is I can, it? No, the uh, <laughs> the <laughs> trench that was 50 feet wide by 20 feet. Oh, with the coconut fiber? No. No, no, no. Oh, that could uh, be more wrong. Oh, the other thing was, uh, I don't know, if we get back into this. <laughs> so at the south shore, where he started just bulldozing the triangle away. Yes. He creates a trench that's 50 feet long by 20 feet wide. And it just kind of destroys the cove. But what he did find was an eight foot square original shaft that's below the triangle yes, and, and that was filled in. Yes. Uh, and so this is kind of important because they think this is done by the original builders. Right. However, it does not stop the water from going into the pit. No. And after about a year of this and a bunch of problems, he, sa- he goes back to California on another contract. And he says, I will return to finish
0: the job. And of course, he never returns. No, there was issues with raising money, which is continuing now. I mean, with it, this story has gone on so long. It's it's probably getting harder and harder to get people to say, oh, yeah, here's $100,000. You're going <laughs> to yeah. figure it out? And I've got the answer. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, right. so now we meet Dan Blankenship, who actually was one of the investors in the Dunfield project. And he was not happy with ha- how Dunfield was approaching things, you know, and probably also with how his money was being used. And he, dis- this is when Dan, who had been inspired by the Reader's Digest article, yeah, inspired so one. many people, right. Right? right? How many? Who else was? Well, the
1: other, uh, as you'll, as you'll find out later, Rick Lagina. I think he was 11 years old, and, yeah. When
0: he saw that article,
1: and of course, Dan's much older. Uh, Lagina and- is the current searcher. Yeah, the, he and, uh, his brother, and his brother Rick yeah. and Marty. And uh, Dan, though, he was a successful building contractor down in Florida. So he had a little bit of money and he understood construction. So he was actually the field manager,
0: I think, for for a while there. For Dunfield, right? Yeah. He worked on that and then just kind of stuck around. Yeah. So this is when we had the three Ds, what I call the three, because we had Dan Blankenship, who also had a guy who worked for him named Dan Hinsky. Yes. And then there was an investor whose name was David Tobias. Now, And, and then his son is also named Dave. <laughs> yes. Dave yeah. There's a lot of D-ing going. I guess yes. it's the four Ds. But wait, one of the things that's interesting about Hensky, and we'll come to him later, is uh, he lived there on the island for some time. He was a caretaker. And he sort of had a little bit of a breakdown that he said had to do with evil spirits coming out of the pit and that sort of thing. Anyway, we'll come to that later. That's, a, it's, <laughs> yeah. that's an interesting story. But Tobias has a lot of money. He's a millionaire. And he's kind of the new guy that's going to bring something to the game here. And Blankenship is going to be involved. So they form a company and they start working. And one of the first things that Tobias does is hire a third-party company to do some exploration. So this company drills 65-inch holes all over the island. And it's kind of a revelation because these guys wind up pulling up in their core samples, find china, oak, cement again, wood, and charcoal, all down between 160 to 212 feet. And carbon-14 dating shows that the wood is from the year 1575, plus or minus 85 years. So as you're so fond of saying glacial till, which is going to be the name of my- uh, (laughs) Your band? Yeah, my bluegrass band, glacial till. That wood would have been 10,000 years old. So this wood is relatively, uh, is is a babe in the woods wood. Yeah, well, what <laughs> it was worst cut thing down. I've ever said. Yeah, um, but it, yeah. It, glacial till would have been ten thousand years old. So for debunkers who say all the wood that's been pulled up is from glacial till, no, not when it's only a few hundred years old. That's not where it's from. Yeah. Also, you
1: know, I think they found pollen samples in the soil that uh, suggest that time range.
0: Yes. Right. So nothing too ancient. Nothing too modern. Right. And and Blankenship also stumbles across these boulders that he thinks are th- the second flood tunnel. Because the boulders are what we know have been used to, as we discussed in the prior episode, to keep the flood tunnels from collapsing on themselves, almost like a natural filter and sort of a reinforcement for the tunnels, for the water to rush Yeah,
1: the across. water can go around these rounded uh,
0: boulders much more easily than, say, you know, solid dirt. They're doing a lot of work, actually, for just a handful of guys and one of the one of the things that they do is they re-excavate the Smith's Cove flood tunnel the first one that was discovered and in that process underneath the tunnel they find one of the more famous artifacts a pair of scissors that according to the Smithsonian were most likely Spanish American and made in Mexico. I don't have a year associated with those, but you can no, see but I, they're I think everywhere. It's, yeah, it's definitely mid 17th century, so
1: mid 1600s. I think uh, is roughly the date right. of Spanish design. Yeah, and they just
0: you got to remember it wasn't that easy to make scissors back then. So right, that's right. It's a good point. Plural, oh. uh, you know, I I don't know why I know this. I used to I had done some patent searches in college, and I came across the patent for scissors. And you know, when you patent something, you obviously can't name it. What its trade name becomes later because <laughs> it doesn't describe it. <laughs> right. According to their patent, they're known as plural cooperating blades. Well, that's kind of a kind of for trivia. Yeah, completely used That trivia is so useless it won't even help you in a trivia. game.
1: <laughs> it will help you in a patent lawsuit when you go to uh, file a, a patent. Oh, and a couple of other things was a set metal square with hand etched notches on it. Uh, the set the square. Figures prominently Mason. in Masonic, lore. yes, it does. Yes, and a heart-shaped stone, which was you know chipped away, chiseled away at to make it look like a heart, and the heart is another big symbol within treasure hunting. Yeah, heart-shaped stones are prominent.
0: They come up in a lot of different
1: not only sites. yeah not only the yeah. stone, but you'll see that uh, I think we mentioned this early on. The Spanish would do this too in symbols to locate treasure or water or different resources as you were exploring as they were covering the territory. They would put a, a symbol of a heart or it could be a turtle. That's another big one. Crosses, wavy lines for water, whatever it is. A couple of wavy lines. <laughs> They're all about getting to something
0: that uh, you need to find. Right. Yes. Right, before we go too much further, we're, we're going to come back to sort of the meat of this guy later. But there is a, there's another gentleman – who actually first took interest in the site back in the 50s. And he first starts creeping around in the 60s. I'm going to say creeping around. Uh, His name is Fred Nolan. He's going to figure prominently moving forward. Oh, yeah. No, no. Fred is going to be one of the major players. So you're going to hear
1: us talk about him. He starts getting interested about the time when George Green, you know, the cigar-chomping Texan from the 50s, was on the scene. Yes, who we talked about in the last episode. Right, and he is a, uh, he's from Bedford, Nova Scotia, so he's kind of a, a local in the area. Did
0: we mention Fred in the last one? We didn't. I did don't we? think so. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We should have. Okay. Oversight.
1: Anyway. <laughs> well, he, we're mentioning him now. Yes. But he's a professional surveyor, so that's his interest. And also, it's, he's big on markers, yes. which— he finds a bunch of, but anyway, not to get too far ahead. Look, he's an independent guy, and so it's a little bit of the story of the of the big conglomerate and the big enterprise versus Goliath. the were versus the little
0: guy, and he's the little guy here. Fred in 1960 went to Chapel and said, "I'd like for permission, yes, to that's look right. for treasure." That's right. He and told, Chapel said, "Go to no. hell." Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> he no, he right. said
0: he told him to go to hell. Yeah, so. but the, so then Nolan says. Well, how about – he goes, you know what we should do is there There needs to be a proper survey of the yes. island. I'm a surveyor. Can you let me get on the island to do the surveying? Yeah. And Chapel agrees to that.
1: Yeah, well, he's, but, uh, he's useful. Charles Roper, I believe, was the surveyor for the government, the crown, as they say up there. And he did a, a partial survey, but only mostly I think the east end of the island. So no one had really done the whole island, which Fred Nolan was going to
0: offer to do. Yes, and as we'll find out later, not quite yet. He had an ulterior motive. Well, it gets can, him on the island. He's a very shrewd man. Yes, yeah, he is. But there's I another, will say, There yes. is another ulterior. Anyway, so – but let's get back to the Triton Alliance, which is Blankenship's company. They at this point, after all the excavating and things that they've done, by 1960 – by 1969 – by 1969, they had invested over $500,000. OK? So they, they've done a lot of work. In 1970 – they built a cofferdam in Smith's Cove. Right
1: and now, this is Dan Blankenship, who's partnered with Montreal businessman David Tobias.
0: Right, that's right. And, yeah. that, and then they formed the Triton Alliance. Right, okay. Right. Which we mentioned Tobias earlier, but we didn't mention their company. Yes. So this is the Triton Alliance, which is an important company. And they built a cofferdam in Smith's Cove in an effort to excavate Smith's Cove and see what they could find. And during that excavation, they found a very complex wooden structure down in the cove, which is the same thing that Hedden had found back in 1936 a part of, but wasn't really sure what it was. They don't know if it's a slipway or it had something to do with a wharf or something for maybe the original builders for how they were getting materials and ships in and out of the area during the construction of the pit.
1: Yeah, it may have been an old harbor of some kind, but uh, they found these giant logs and they're two feet thick and some are like 30 or 40 feet long and even long, maybe 60 feet long. Some of them but they're notched every four feet, and then at the adjoining notches where there's Roman numerals carved in. Yeah, so it's a very so, well-planned out but structure. But at least we know they're not – it's not older than the Romans. Yes. <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> but the, but are the definitely hand-man work. These are not – it's not driftwood. It's not there by accident. Yes. These things are cored
0: out, and some of them have wooden pins in them. That's right, dowels. And the carbon-14 dating on them shows them to be at least 250 years old. So that's going to put them in the early 1700s. Yeah. Another thing they found during this excavation were these rocks – Piles of rocks, and underneath them, there were there was this ash, and they couldn't figure out what it was, and they had it analyzed, and it was bones, burned bones. Oh, really? And they still don't know what that. You know, that's what that interesting. Was. I mean, one of the one of my theories on that is if you're building something that's secret, and people are dying along the way of illness <laughs> or what have you yeah. or whatever, you gotta you're either going to take the body with you or you're going to hide the evidence that they ever existed. There and again, if you want to get even more nefarious, they may have killed everyone that worked on it. I mean, that's well, what you... Well,
1: that's... Uh, it was the mob. Getting,
0: yeah. That's what you do,
1: right? <laughs> yeah. I, keep I, it quiet.
0: I don't think it was probably quite that dramatic.
1: But of course... You don't know. Well, I I was there. We don't know. I wasn't there. But what I
0: would say is like if you're cooking, you can burn bones to make ash for different reasons. But – Yeah, that's true. I guess you – I guess there's reasons to burn bones. I can't think of any in modern (laughs) times, but (laughs) back then. Uh,
1: No, how how do you make um, soap with tallow? That's uh, candles. That's maybe boiling. That's boiling bones. Kind of a fight club situation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Well, yeah, pretty much how you do that. No, the evidence is that a large group of guys were living on this island
0: for a long period of time. Time working to build all this, which is why, frankly, it's remarkable there aren't more human-related artifacts. There's not a lot of human-related artifacts. I mean, they're finding they're, more on, in yeah. the search for Amelia Earhart on Nicomaroro <laughs> than <laughs> they no, are. I'm sorry. There's no freckle cream on Oak Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just saying there's not on a Oakland lot of, Island. You can't go and say, oh, yeah, 100 people clearly camped here, you know? No, well, no, but they have found, as, as careful as you can
1: be to, to pick up after yourself, to leave no trace, yeah. they are finding little bits. Uh, you
0: know, pieces of cement china, there are a lot of broken china is coming up that's way down. Yeah, way down. You know? But I'm talking about up on the top where they were living, where these crew, whoever yeah. built this was living- they were remarkably good at not leaving no, no, the they lot didn't. behind. Yeah, because just just living there. Looks you you drop stuff all the
1: time. Coins fall out of your pocket, you drop your bosun's whistle, yeah. <laughs> you know, sh carbon of ivory. My yeah, I was gonna say the scissors were hard to come by. It's just like they probably missed those yeah. <laughs> you know, on the way back. But you no, know, little little bits are coming up. So it proves that there's people who have been there working for quite a long time.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, so now here we are. It's nineteen seventy. And Triton hires a geotech engineering firm to analyze the island. This is a big-time analysis that they're undertaking. It's going to cost them about $100,000. This firm comes, and in the course of their analysis, they drill holes everywhere, including one that is going to become one of the most famous holes on the island after the money pit. It is known as borehole 10X. And we're going to come back to that. But the the bottom line is this. Forrest and I were openly wondering, like, how did Borehole 10X get this weird name? It almost sounds <laughs> like know. you know, a couple of kids were playing and they made up a name. But the the reason it's such a weird yeah. name is because it was part of a series of holes.
1: Oh, yeah. No, there's Borehole 21, which they yeah. found a, a piece of brass in, I think. And a little, they're finding little bits. But they're doing a lot of testing. Now, from what I've heard, and this might not be true, but Dan Blankenship found or decided to, to drill a test hole there
0: using... The old technique of divining. Yeah, I had heard that 10X was found through dowsing too, but I can't understand for the life of me why a geotech engineering firm would drill a hole based on (laughs) dowsing.
1: Well, you're already drilling 20
0: 20 holes. Yeah. No, actually, that's used quite a bit in the – That's true. uh, uh... Tobias thinks dowsing is malarkey though. Yeah. Well, uh, the, hey. investor. But right. it respects Dan.
1: Yes. But no, that's a, a lot of oil well drillers will use, and, and uh, water well drillers. It works well for water. Water running underground. And that's what kind of that's what Dan says, that you want the ground to be wet. And soldiers in Vietnam were using them to try and locate landmines. Right. Which I hope was successful, <laughs> because you don't want to
0: make a mistake yeah, there. You only get one chance there. But
1: anyway, that's what I'd heard, is that he he thought there was an underground channel
0: because of that. Yes. And 10X was originally bored to calculate water flow. That's why ah, they that's right. why they did it. Okay. So 10X is 180 feet northeast of the money pit. And by coincidence, it actually lined up with the drilled rocks that Hedden had originally found in 1937, believe it or not, not, not perfectly, but pretty yeah. close.
1: Yeah, it's halfway between the cave-in
0: pit and the money pit. That's right, yeah. that's right. So when it was first created, they found a five foot cavity at about 140 feet and another one at 160 feet. Then bedrock for 50 feet and another cavity. Now, they, and they brought at, up- at 230 feet, right? That's so right. So they way down there. Way down. And they brought up some metal that was dated at least prior to 1750, which is this date that keeps coming up, by the yeah. way. And 10X had real value, though, because it was virgin ground. It was an area that had never been- Dug by any prior right. team. Nobody poked a hole in it. Yeah. But and and so you're not going to whatever you find there, you know it's a genuine artifact. Yes, because it's not collapsed cribbing or whatever.
1: Yeah, because think about it. What you want to find is something older than 1795. So anything older than 1800, which is when it was first discovered, and it was not a worker of somebody trying to find
0: it, but possibly an original digger or barrier. Triton was so intrigued with 10X and most specifically Blankenship. 10X became his baby. He was like, wait, this is going to be the shortcut. This is going to be the easy way in, the side entrance, the back door. And so one of the things – and now we're at a point in time when it's like, hey, technologically, we can send cameras down here. And so they're looking around for a company that can help them drop a camera down because they want to get a look at this cavity at the bottom of 10X. The company that they hire to do this work to, to help them get the camera down – the first one, one of the primary partners was the Duke, John Wayne. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. There's been some rumors during the research that we had discovered, you know, that John Wayne had put a lot of money into the money pit and he was involved and all this. There, there's nothing to substantiate any of that. The the closest that he came to being involved was in providing this equipment to drill. And also, I think he, at some point, he may have been interested in making a documentary or something like that. Yeah, I, yeah. I believe so. But he, he did have an interest in finding treasure. because yeah, he, he did, was a he treasure did find, hunter. Yeah, he was a treasure hunter in, yeah. his off, in his
1: off time. and But I think mostly concentrated on Spanish-American treasure from the Southwest. Right. You know, he grew up here in Southern California. I think right. he was, uh, went to school in Glendale. So, uh, But no, he was very interested. But as far as this company is concerned, I think he was just an, an investor in this Geological Exploration Company.
0: Yes, and the, and the equipment that they, Triton Alliance tried to use to, to start this project uh, failed, actually. Oh. So it, it wound up being pulled out before it could get another – before it could get down there. And tell me the involvement with Errol Flynn because you you hear that name come up, you know um, the famous
1: actor from uh, from yeah, the thirties and forties.
0: Yeah, we mentioned Flynn in uh, part two, I believe it was, might have been part one, but either yeah. way, we mentioned him before. He actually did have an interest in the pit and wanted to be involved in it, but at the time, someone else held the rights, and he just uh, begged off. It right. didn't go any further than okay. that. Okay, so but it was something that he wanted to he wanted to be involved in, but only if he could be the person. Yeah, you he know, owned the, the whole dude. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so. Uh, Another company comes in after John Wayne's company can't get the boring down in 10X as far as they want. And this new company finds spruce uh, at about 167 feet. Now, the interesting thing about this spruce wood was that it was from the future. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? Well, they carbon dated it and it came back as being from the year 3005. Oh, come on. I'm serious. Wait, where did you see that? I, I read it in O'Connor's <laughs> book. <laughs> you're, sure, you're, you're being dyslexic. And it's no, like it's, uh, it's, it was. In the year three. It, it turns out there's a reason for it. Okay. it. It was coated in pitch blend, and pitch blend contains uranium. Pitch blend oh. was to seal wood, and the uranium I screws see. up the whole carbon. I yeah, see. It's a waterproofing uh, material. An so. ancient
1: waterproofing material? Exactly. Like really old Thompson's water seal. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Okay. So- Anyway, they found more wood and more metal that had shown evidence of being hand forged prior to 1750. Ah. So, And additionally, they found cement at 165 feet. So 10X is proving to be a very lucrative hole, which, well, if, yeah. which our man – Damn blankenship found by dowsing. <laughs> I believe he did. Look,
1: no one knows what's down there, so I believe any kind of insight and any kind of method you can use to get an edge on this. If you can't solve the riddles, which they, nobody can, they're not even bothering with that, except for one other gentleman, Fred Nolan, that we're going to talk more yes. about. Yes, Fred's still around. He's by still, the way, oh no, no, all he's, he's very active. He's yes. lurking. Yes, he's very active in all this, and he uh, he's trying to he's trying to get his foot in the door here. Yes, but uh, no borehole ten x is very promising. And so much so that they widen the shaft to 27 inches, right? Yes. And, an,
0: and by the way, it is flooding – it too is flooding at 500 gallons per minute. Yes. So it's tapping into a, either the same flood tunnels or similar flood tunnels or some other flood tunnel because the ocean is filling it up. Right. In 1971, they sent a camera down 230 feet. This is one of the most significant things that has happened in the history of the island. They send this camera down, and Blankenship is over there in Video Village or whatever. He's monitoring. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> that's what it is. Yes. Yeah. He's monitoring the camera, and he sees something, and he gasps. He's like, "What?" The, he thinks what he's looking at is a severed hand. No, no. Okay. No. Floating
1: this. in the water. Right. Way. Picture this. This, this is old. This is old time video. Okay. Yes. So that's what they're looking at. A video camera on a long tether with ropes guiding it. The water is very murky. Again, remember it's anhydrite bedrock that's kind of sloughing off with all this water Every pressure. Every time you touch it, yeah, yeah, it's coming up. So it's this cloud; it's hard to see, and the video
0: is not of a great resolution, so it's hard to see. But this is what he thinks he sees. Yeah, he thinks yeah, that a hand floating that by. he sees this hand floating by, and he's he's got people coming in, and he's like, "Are you? Tell me what you see here." Yeah, he brings Dan Hensky over to take a look at the monitor. Yes, and then and while he's doing this, of course, there's no. Uh,
1: I'm not sure if there's a way to. Oh, he's taking snapshots of the monitors,
0: right? Exactly. Yeah. That was what they had. And and the pictures, according to uh, Darcy O'Connor in his book, he's like, the pictures are the worst sort of tabloid <laughs> photos. The, because yeah. the camera had a recording system, but of course it wasn't
1: working. Well, they think at the time. Now, see, and, this, and uh, Mark Finnan gets into this in his book later footage. Yes, there's claims that they don't know where it is, and I heard it's even maybe one inch video, which is actually of the time pretty good, yeah, that's uh, high quality, yeah, it is for the time, sure, yeah. but he was kind of again, everybody's you know keeping this under wraps, like all this stuff that they find, you know, even dunfield like he he did tests that he didn't
0: announce the results of, but it kept him going, yeah, and well and so ultimately. The, the bottom line is there were three witnesses to yeah. seeing this thing that looked like a hand. Eventually the camera bumped it and it sailed off into the darkness. <laughs> right. And he was – they were conjecturing that it was severed by the drill, you know, coming oh, down. That that yeah. was sort of what had happened. Well, so you they, know, there, there's also a possibly a body Yes. Well, that's what we're going to get to. They send, yeah. So they sent the camera down again. This time they see three – what looks like three chests down in the in the cavern, one of which clearly has a handle. And they're also seeing like either these wooden logs or beams and a pickaxe and planks with dowels in them, kind of like we found out in the cove. And as you just said, I mean, this is straight out of Indiana Jones. <laughs> the, yeah. A slumped over dead body. Yeah. Right. Now, Standing th- guard. Now, some people speculate, that, oh, <laughs> you know what? It's a yeah. tomb. We, we don't know what it is, but they took some of these pictures and they showed them to a pathologist and he said, you know, this there there could be a body down there and with the lack of oxygen and the saline water, right. it could be pickled. It could Ooh. look – because they said it had skin and hair and didn't actually look that bad. Wow. So, See yeah. – now,
1: okay, if you've seen the series, of course, they, they replay all of this and uh, and it's really hard to make out and I, I since Dan Blankenship later on, years later – brought the, you know, because he's trying to spur interest in it. Suddenly now he's got the video, which has been computer enhanced. It's still not great. <laughs> it's still Straight not. Straight out of Blade Runner. Yeah, it's still not great looking. Yeah. But you you know what? The, the, clearly, though, it looks like at least two rectangular objects. It does look like there is a, uh, actually, it's kind of clear. The clearest thing I saw was the axe. Right. Uh, or the pickaxe that's maybe sitting up on, you know, with its handle up. So there's stuff down there. And you got to realize this is the first time anybody has seen anything from
0: down below right so it's very exciting and of course that that fuels them up yeah so now after the cameras they decide to send a diver down so they they send this guy down he gets down there and there's way too much current for him to even yeah it's way too murky yeah it's murky and also the water's flowing like crazy it's actually kind of a dangerous situation so at this point they've concluded there's no question that this that borehole 10x intersected a flood tunnel because of the, all the current down there,
1: yeah, and there's also evidence where they see on the video possibly two entrances to two other tunnels leading into or
0: out of the little cavern there. That's right, the seven foot high cavern. But yeah, because the distance, they notice when they look in certain directions, the light doesn't reach. They can't even see the ends yeah. of where of where it's going in some directions. So. And, and the thing is, you mentioned the anhydrite. It makes the water cloudy. When you bump into it, if you – whatever, it's, it just instantly muddies yeah, the g- water. Uh, picture this. It's very chalky. So as – the and there's tremendous amount of
1: pressure, tides coming in and out. It's all eroding and this has been going on for possibly hundreds of years now.
0: Yes. And so eventually Dan, being the – sort of badass maverick that he was, <laughs> yeah, I think he, he dives himself. Yeah. He goes down there. Yeah. And uh, there's this actually a quote from him in um, O'Connor's book, The Secret Treasure of Oak Island. This quote is a, about going down there. He says, you go down into it and you're just hanging from a cable like a pendulum in this big void. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure saying, it's dark and spooky. Yeah. yeah. And he describes it as too dangerous you know it's it's just and also what's happening is they're realizing that all the pumping is causing erosion and the bottom of the shaft now is turning into a bottle shape and and there's a risk of a cave-in so
1: well he he nearly lost his life
0: on one such excursion down yeah there. that's right in november of 76 he was down there 145 feet down when he heard something
1: Yeah, he starts hearing, I think, creaking, little bits of clay are starting to fall on his head. And luckily for him, he starts to realize that uh, this thing is starting to collapse. So I think there was a telephone line or, you know, a cable going up to his son who was operating the winch. And he said, you know, bring me up, up, up now. And he gets past a certain point and the whole lining of the pipe buckles. And he just barely escapes getting crushed or pinched off and stuck down there below. And what they figured was that all this pumping of water coming in and out, all this hydraulic action had created an artificial fault somewhere along the line there. you got to realize they were also closing off the, some of the original flooding tunnels. And so this pressure was forcing a lot of uh, tons of rock and dirt and debris and, and uh, small boulders in against this pipe. And it just crumpled in on itself and you can see the pipe in the new in the show the uh, yeah. uh his, his son shows the pieces of pinched and it is amazing how it just it just collapsed
0: it was a lot of pressure and he ma- he
1: was almost the
0: seventh victim yeah he made yeah. it out by five seconds yeah five seconds later he would have been dead yeah. he would have been entombed in oak island forever yeah so uh now meanwhile i feel like Before we go on to what what happened next, we're going to take a little break here with where Dan almost died in borehole 10X. What's going on up on the surface with Fred Nolan during all this time? Frederick Nolan is using
1: a different approach He because he can't use all this big drilling equipment and doesn't have access to that. Instead, he is looking for markers because he believes, kind of like I do, is that there are pointers to another opening to this possible treasure area a pit or a tunnel or just a cave, whatever it is. And, you know, he's a surveyor by profession. So he maps out the entire island and he's leaving, I think, around 20 of these uh, concrete markers with bronze uh, uh, surveying markers in them. And he's also finding some very interesting items, too, as he, as he goes along these sight lines. And he's using the markers that, he, that were found uh, there before, like the, these rocks with holes drilled in them. One of the things he finds are four large stone piles On the northeastern hilltop, and he describes these to uh, Mark Finnan as being about 12 feet wide at the base and about 4 feet high. And they form two distinct triangles. And one points towards the swamp and the other one, the bigger one, and then the smaller one points towards Jodry's Cove. And what's interesting to me is that I, the, the, I, the swamp keeps coming up. Yeah. Again, why don't you
0: explain to our listeners where the swamp is on the island?
1: Yeah, it's kind of in the center area. And it's it, it forms this very strange delta or triangle shape, which many theorize that that was on purpose. Somebody designed the swamp and actually filled it. So
0: they're not sure if that was natural or man-made. But it, it kind of divides the island. Uh, going back to one of the things you mentioned in the last episode, I think, was that the, the theory that the island wasn't – might have originally been two islands? Yes. The geologists have taken a look at it and they've determined that the bedrock
1: on the western end and the eastern end are of two different types. Two different types of bedrock. Yeah, wouldn't know that meant. Meant. Well, there you Until go. Tonight. Now, you,
0: now yeah. the implication there being that it became a single island by the hand of man.
1: Possibly. Or over time, it just was a natural geological okay. uh, progression. So you're not saying
0: it's necessarily be- – No,
1: okay. but there is kind of a depression there that will hold water. You know what I'm saying? It's not a, it's not a high point, a hilly point. It's a, a point where a swamp can form and has, and everyone's had trouble draining it. What's- However, he was able to for a little bit. And he's found some interesting things there. He found a piece of a uh, ship's gunnel, the top edge of the uh, of a ship. He found what appears to be a gold branding iron. This is all in the swamp. Yes, when he drained it, he found some very old stakes, and he found a piece of wood that had a metal hinge in it, which looked like the top of a chest. So, what these all point to is that it looks like it may have been a very old place for ship repair. Okay, hundreds of years old. What and else? also, oh, he also found a smithy. Uh, you know where where they were doing some iron working and an old well. Okay. So these are all interesting things. The the swamp has a, has drawn a
0: lot of attention because didn't you, you know, tell me it also had stumps of oak trees in it?
1: Yeah, actually, they find that in the show. They found a stump, and the thing about The show a, being meaning
0: the the new sh- the exactly when current, we say the show, current that's current right.
1: That is the History Channel show, The Curse of Oak Island, and they currently find like an oak stump, and there's oak stumps all around the swamp. Now, what's interesting is that. Oak cannot grow underwater naturally. Right. So at some
0: point that there wasn't always a swamp there is what they're getting at. So no one's making some significant discoveries while everyone else is down in deep holes. Yeah, because this is the thing when
1: you're thinking about how to go after it, people are just focused, they're driven and I you see this with every treasure hunter there. They get a little hint of something, they just go after it and they're they're obsessed with it. And he since he can't do that, he's taking the other approach like, well, you know what? There's clues here. He also finds a heart-shaped stone and, uh, and, and other things that really kind of point to somebody has left markers here and, taken, and gone to the trouble to hopefully for the person that can figure this out, there's an easier way to it rather than
0: tunneling all the way down there. Well, and as a surveyor, he's got the right kind of mind because he's trying to interpret a message that most likely was left by a surveyor of yeah, one kind well,
1: or another. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, that's a good point. He finds uh, an 18-inch high rectangular stone that's kind of pointed, and it definitely looked like it was worked over with a chisel. It's got bird marks on it, and uh, that was confirmed, I guess, by Bob Grantham of the Nova Scotia Museum of Natural History. And, but basically, that looks like a surveyor's mark to him. Like a stone that you would leave there so nobody could move it, you know, or it would be hard to move, that you would use to create sight lines. And what we talk about when we say sight lines are that he's laying out a grid on this island and where every little important find of boulders, stones, the the triangles he's finding, all on – because he thinks that there's a a grand geometrical pattern, a map, if you will, laid over this island by people a long time ago. Also – Nolan is the man who found the Stone Cross, right? Well, that's probably his biggest find, literally, uh, because it was on his property, and I think gradually... Over the course of poking around, and, and you got to realize this thing's laid out over a large swath of land here, but it was first verified in 1981. But he didn't reveal it, of course, uh, until much later, again, like everything else. Yeah, he um, found
0: it way before 81. Uh, right. I believe, yeah. i'm not, he I'm sat not sure. on it a while.
1: I think so. It first came out as, as a discovery in 81, but people are getting sued left and right here, back and forth. So he didn't really mention it. But what he found is a giant megalithic cross, meaning... These are boulders laid out on the ground that form a cross. And each of these boulders is kind of a large conical shaped granite boulder, they think weighing around 10 tons each. Right. These are huge. Right. And he claims, as well as everyone else, that these boulders are not found anywhere else on the island. So they think somebody put them there. But when you lay it all out... Yeah, this thing's massive. I found this little interesting uh, tidbit here. It's often called the Latin cross because it's possibly Roman or the Golgotha cross because it resembles the one that uh, Jesus was crucified on. And uh, Golgotha, how, how
0: is that different from a regular cross?
1: Well, you know, there's different types. You could have yeah. equilateral sides like a, like an X. It looks more like a plus sign. okay you know that's called a Templar cross. Uh, there's a Malta cross. There's different variations. This okay. is pretty much the standard one you see all the time. okay uh, It's got a long stem on the bottom and cross arms. so sometimes people call it the the Golgotha cross, which is where Jesus was crucified. Some call that Calvary that's kind of the Latin translation of that, but it, the ancient Aramaic. Word for Golgotha is the hill that looks like the skull, the place of the skull. Kind of, that's kind of loosely what it translates as, because the uh, I guess the hill looked like a skull cap. Now, what does Fred Nolan find? He finds the four boulders. Actually, there's there's five. So there's uh, the two arms and the one of the head and the one of the bottom. About a third of the way up from the bottom is another large stone. At the intersecting point of the stem and the arms. There's nothing there, except he digs down, and he finds a large boulder under the ground. Right. This one's completely concealed. Yeah. And he digs that up, and it looks like a carved head. Now, yeah. it could have been carved a little bit by man. It's not real detailed. Or it could have been carved by nature. But when you look at it, it looks like a head, like a, you know, like yes. a Play-Doh kind of a head. And on a, it- We have a picture of yeah. it on the website. And on it is what looks like a carved in, it, it kind of looks like a dagger, could be a spearhead or a sword that's kind of on the face of this, on the forehead of this, of this head. But anyway, I just thought there was an interesting connection that that is the, uh, it is literally the place of the head, but it was, yeah, he found that by just going to the place where they cross and to give you a sense of the dimension, the top of the cross to the bottom is 867 feet and each arm is 360 feet from the center of the cross to the end of the arm. So this thing's large and it sits about a I think a northeasterly to southwesterly direction on his land. Now he claims that he and a partner had dug under one of the boulders in the in the bottom of the cross and they found uh, pieces of an old ship's potbelly stove and uh, fragments like that and uh, but nothing huge. He hasn't there's no treasure underneath. But he's using this to to cite other lines. He's using this as a a marker, like, this must be significant. And I don't think this was nature laying these boulders out. I think that they were placed there. And so that's a tremendous effort, too. Yeah, 10 tons. It's amazing. Yeah.
0: All right, so now we go back to Blankenship. He has almost died in 10X, and he is also now obsessed with 10X, which he is to this day I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, he's he I think he's, he's 92 or 93. Yeah. yeah. So but he's, he's still there
0: folks, by the way. Oh yeah, yeah. No, he still <laughs> lives there. Uh, his yeah. son lives there. Yeah. yeah. And but so he's got we, he's got to figure out a way to shore 10x up. He comes up with a genius idea and it's relatively inexpensive. He buys four disused railroad tanker cars, Yeah. Right? They look like the the giant pill looking ones. Yeah, yeah, the the cylinders and he uses those For casing inside of borehole 10x, he excavates it out and he sinks these cars down vertically into the hole. And the great thing about them is their steel is a a, is a good bit thicker than the original casing that they had. And then on top of that, he cross braces them internally, so it gives him a lot more room to work, a lot more room to get equipment up and down. It basically becomes a silo in the ground, and it's a lot safer to work in. Yeah, it's
1: amazing that he and his son, and with the help of Dan Hensky who's helping them out, they were able to do this on their own because these things are eight feet wide. Right. So now not only
0: do they use it to shore up the sides of the uh, wall, it gives them a lot of more space to work in. Exactly. Yeah. And so now th- there's a problem happening here because at this point, Chapel, who is still very much involved in the project, is disagreeing about the value of 10X versus the money pit. And this is sort of the beginning of something that's going to come to a head later. But what's happening is Blankenship is really wanting to focus on 10X because he believes it's the easier way to get to whatever's down there whereas Chapel and even Tobias feel that they really need to be focusing on the original Money Pit. Now the thing about Chapel though is in 1980 at 93 years old he passes away. Yeah. So now he's out of the picture. And even though they had disagreeing you know differing opinions about the value of the Money Pit, Dan both Dan Blankenship and David Tobias were disappointed that they couldn't get to the bottom of whatever was going on on Oak Island before Chapel died because this man, Chapel, devoted his whole life to it. Oh, know? yeah. Well, his, so, and his father, and William his father Chapel. did too. Yeah, yeah. It was two generations. Also of, Masons. Yes, both Masons. Yeah. So it was actually just a few months before Chapel died. That was when Blankenship noticed, which I don't know, I can't remember if we referenced before, I think we did, the ice holes. Uh, which is a fun word to say.
1: <laughs> to be said properly, yes. yes. Uh, no, somebody notices during the winter. It was Dan.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Right. Yeah. He, he for, in this, what year was that? In the 80... Uh, I'm not sure on the okay. year. Okay. He's asking the question, the one fact I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. Yeah, but it was... It's not oh, yeah, important. no, I do know. It was a few months... Uh, it was in 1980, a few months before... Um, okay. ...before Chapel died. He noticed these four... Holes in the ice, about 150 feet apart. And well, and when we when we say
1: that they're not totally all the way down, they're, but they're depressions. Like he yes. noticed that. Like what's
0: going on there? Warmer That's Warmer water neutral. is yeah. coming up. Right. Yes. And at the time, they had been pumping the money pit, so they have become. This is the first time actually that Tobias really believes that there's a South Shore drain tunnel. Yeah. Because that there's like, a,
1: a, a manufactured, engineered tunnel that's actually further off from the shore than yeah. they
0: had imagined. Right. And this is the second one. This is not the first one in Smith's Cove. This is totally on the other side of the yeah, island, right. which we've been talking about for a while. But Tobias, who's got all the money right now, he's okay, okay, I believe you. This is real because I can see what's happening over here. And they went over there. They tried to look at where it was coming up. The water was up to 20 feet deep, and there was years of erosion on top of it. So there, it wasn't like there was a clear place that it was coming from. They just It was seeping up from underneath the sand under the water. So... They finally now, and in 1986, they do a study to sort of figure out what kind of money is going to be needed to take this thing to the next step, yet the five millionth step. Triton had already spent $1.2 million, the Triton Alliance has spent at this point. Just them. Yeah, just them. And the Triton Alliance is a lot of people. It's 49 people are in the Alliance. And somehow Blankenship convinces them to let him go back into 10X again. And this is a brutal, brutal gig. But he's doing. I mean, and Blankenship is a tough man. Let me tell you. And he's, oh yeah. He's, well, yeah, he's down there in this pit. It is hu- incredibly loud. It is backbreaking work. That water is freezing, by the way. It's yeah, very the cold. water. If you yeah. get wet, it's like. Or if you're down in the under the water, it's 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 incredibly yeah, cold. There's a
1: couple of shots of him actually. Who's got that 60s neoprene <laughs> wetsuit on?
0: Yeah, and gog like yeah, he's pretty fearless. But that's the thing. He's driven. Yeah, exactly. And you know, at one point, uh, O'Connor talks in his book about how when he went to talk to him one day. He came up; his arm was burned really bad. And he was like, "What? What happened there, Dan?" And he said, uh, "Oh, I the welder. I burnt myself." <laughs> anyway, uh, but uh, you know, yeah. it's, just, it's it's crazy. So now Tobias is wanting to just kill the whole ten X project. All right? It's right, they've spent three hundred thousand dollars on it. He's like, w- "We need to do something else." So he comes up with an idea for a new project called the Big Dig, and this is not to be confused with the tunnel in Boston, <laughs> right? But But this is a a big deal. This is something that's going to cost $10 to $15 million to pull off. Yeah.
1: However, this is a a well-thought-out plan by engineers. Not that there weren't engineers involved before, but this is like, okay, you know what? Let's stop for a second, tone down the emotional exuberance, and figure out what's the best way to tackle this. Yes. And,
0: and, And before we move on, I do want to go back and say that in hindsight, Blankenship himself admitted that maybe they misinterpreted what they saw with the camera. Yeah. It's, it's, look, it's very murky. There's, these aren't, you know... And there was no sense of scale. That was another thing they right. talked about. There wasn't a sense, like, you know... They, they were all pretty sure about the hand, but everything else they were... <laughs> really? Yeah.
1: Yeah, but there's no pictures of the hand part, I think. But, no, the one piece that I've seen that, again, that really it looks like an axe, because mm-hmm. uh, you can see the head of it, and it looks like there's something square. Now... We'll get to what they find in present day with modern equipment because it's pretty dramatic. But anyway, so yes. so far, this is it.
0: Yes. One of the interesting things, though, coming back – we're bouncing around a little bit here. But coming back to Fred Nolan, even though he had gotten permission to survey from Chapel, one of the things that he was also doing was surveying the lots. And he knew about real estate and how surveying worked. And specifically, if you've ever sold property or bought property, you know that the, you have to do all this title searching and – checking the lot lines and the boundaries or whatever. And this is second nature yeah. to Nolan. And he, on a hunch, takes all of his information after he surveyed the entire island, and he goes down to whatever office deals with uh, transfer of deeds and titles. And right, building. who's the current landowners. You know why? Because he was kind of rebuffed
1: by Mel Chapel. Yeah. He was so enthusiastic, and he was I think he was bugging Mel a little bit because he wanted to get on there and he wanted to get working. Exactly. And finally Mel just got an annoyed and said, you know, Get the heck out of here.
0: Right, right. So he takes this information with the the new surveys of the island, and he goes back through all the records when the lots changed hands, all the way back to uh, Anthony Gray's daughter, Sophia Sellers, and all these people, and comes to find out that a good portion of the lot – not a good portion, but significant lots. In fact, it was uh, lot 5 and uh, lots 9 through 14. Right, right. Were never properly conveyed due to – clerical errors. Not conveyed to Mel Chapel That's yeah, right. They didn't still, have they, them.
1: No, the heirs still
0: own them. The heirs had them. So, so he
1: quietly approached them.
0: Yes, paid them yeah. uh, $2,500 for a quit claim.
1: Yeah, and since, since this land is kind of swampy, they're kind of glad
0: to get rid of it. Frankly. Right. So. Yeah, so this begins what I call the Nolan-Tobias war, because it's really, <laughs> yeah. it's coming down to uh, David Tobias and Nolan, and who's got what land, and who can do what when, and this thing gets nasty.
1: Oh, well, you know, it got a little nasty even before that, because if you remember, he was Wanted to use the causeway yes. built by Robert Dunfield and Dunfield. You know, as we were saying earlier, it's like you know, get out of here, you pipsqueak! I don't want no interlopers here. Well, he got kind of upset, but Fred Nolan's a crafty guy. Yes. He went and purchased the Point uh, Crandall's Point, I think, on the yeah. mainland. Yeah, he where went- the causeway connected. Exactly. He went and purchased land on Crandall's Point. And, and then barricaded it. <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, and they couldn't do anything because he legally purchased it. He gave, hadn't thought about he it. He took away their permission to pass onto their own causeway because now the entrance of it was on his land. Yes, right. And this continues. It continues to escalate. Without getting into too much detail about it, there, there was a causeway blocking. There was who has the rights to this? They were in court, in and out of court. Oh, Why Dunfield put a uh, he put an armed guard at the end of the road there, so Fred wouldn't use it.
1: Right, so know. Fred couldn't use it either. Yeah. So now there's like no point in it. No. Then there. they built around. It, it's yeah. just all this craziness that goes you know and he's like he's like the cranky old guy but in some respects I, I see
0: what his point was is that he's getting muscled out and yeah. and you know well, and doesn't the, need to be one of the bread and butter for Triton Alliance one of their bread and butter operations was the Oak island tourism business right and they had a museum on the island and the people would come and tour and all this so Nolan goes over there to Crandall's Point and builds another museum yeah. of his own <laughs> a, where, and you know what yeah. he's got good stuff to show because he's been surveying and finding yeah, these right. markers he's got these artifacts
1: yeah, he found his own heart-shaped stone. Exactly. You know, so he's, from poking around there, he's found all these really kind of
0: cool artifacts on his own. That's as, right. You know, as much as anyone else. And after, at some point, he gets, I can't remember if he gets ordered or whatever to take the barricade down to the causeway.
1: Oh, you know so, what it is? No, the the government was going to widen the road because there was so much tourism activity. Right. And he got upset with that because it's kind of going through his little purchased land. So he extended the
0: museum. Yes, to cover that. Added yeah. on to his museum. <laughs> yeah. To cross the road, so it wouldn't even matter whether it was barricaded or what was happening. Eventually, he lost that battle. They made him tear down that right. little piece that stuck out yeah. of the museum. So it's, it's really kind of comical. At one point, Blankenship was on the outs with him as well. It became a, a full-blown war. And these are men that used to respect each other. Right. Uh, they didn't necessarily want to work together, but... Well, they have different ideas of what to do. Yeah, you know. and, and there was a point at which Blankenship went to confront... Nolan and had a rifle. Yes, I, mean, yeah. I don't believe he pointed it at him or anything like that. But you know, the the uh, cops came and took the rifle. Right. It got pretty bad, and to this day, and I, you know, we've been unable to determine whether or not Nolan is actually still alive. But uh, we could probably check into this. Is. Yes, yes, so you can see him on the
1: show, and they, they don't they, speak
0: whether he's they, live or no.
1: not. <laughs> no, they don't. In the show, though, they're taking a boat to. Uh, they're going to check out the coves, and they go by his house, and right. that's about all they say. It's like, well, we had a disagreement, and that's the end of that.
0: So. Yeah, it was a messy business, and over all the year, it went on for years. And years, and it ultimately cost both of them collectively about a hundred and fifty or hundred sixty oh, thousand yeah. dollars just for the legal l- fees, yeah, just for the lawsuits. I think Fred Nolan admitted that he'd spent over two hundred
1: thousand dollars altogether. You know, because when he had the land surveyed, he paid for that out of his own pocket.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, eventually things settled down, but it, there, it's not because there was ever an agreement made. I think everyone just got old. And this <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite quotes from Mildred Restall, who was Bob's wife that lived on the island for years and years. She said, uh, and I quote, and I take this from a Darcy O'Connor's book that uh, David Tobias, Dan Blankenship, and Fred Nolan are a bunch of jackasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: because
0: they're just fighting over stuff that's there's no concrete proof of from your vantage right. point. There's a lot of schisms going on. Blankenship is still focusing on ten x. Tobias is not really into ten x. So – and he doesn't want to spend any more money on it because he thinks it's a waste of time. He thinks it's questionable what they found there, but Blankenship doesn't. In the 90s, Tobias has brought in a new partnership with a wealthy Bostonite, some rich man from Boston whose name escapes me. They put together a deal with the famous Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute to do this big study on the island and try to determine – If they can prove that anything on the island was man-made and not a natural occurrence. Right. Are you talking about Don Glazer? I think he's from the uh, Oak Oak Island discoveries.
1: No, it's not. Glazer.
0: David Mugar. M-U-G-A-R. But anyway, that's the Boston guy. They spend $80,000 with Woods Hole and the whole study was inconclusive in proving the existence of anything man made on the island however woods hole still felt that it was that it was a genuine unsolved mystery and they wanted to do more so they put together a bid to go further and really try to figure it out and that bid was $700,000, <laughs> yeah. at which point Mr. Mugar was like, okay, I've, I've had enough. I've, you know, I've already dropped 80000 on this. Right. It was inconclusive. And so that, that study never happened. Now, Blankenship is apparently feeling like this is all a waste of time anyway. We've got 10X. That's where we should be focusing our energy. In 1992, two scientists in a research vessel confirmed the presence of an apparently man-made tunnel Under the water where the ice holes had been seen in the South Cove by Blankenship in 1980. And that was confirmed. They saw this anomaly that they clearly identified as being man-made. It's just getting to the point where it's like, okay, we've seen all this. We can't get anywhere. We can't, you know, what's going to happen? And also in 96, Blankenship set up his own company to explore other islands. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, no, he's we, bought, he's
1: bought up a ton of uh, treasure trove licenses all over. Yeah. And we like, still we like don't know what's to happening to with that.
0: There's no books on
1: that. Uh, no. And the thing is, like, in really like, yeah, he, him being in his early 90s and, and, you know, his son is still around, but he's not in any shape to search those out. But there's definitely been interest in the little islands around there. In fact, yeah. I, I was looking on Google Earth. And I think it's called Frog Island, and it's it's yeah, between. Frog Island
0: keeps coming up. It's does it because yeah, this is I've read what's really kind of
1: cool and weird about it. If you look on the on Google Earth, it looks like it's ringed by trees on the outer edge of this little tiny dot of an island, and it looks like there's a trail that goes to the center, and it's kind of a grassy field. I just I'm curious. I want
0: to <laughs> I want to yeah, know what's, what's on there, there. what's there. Yeah. And
1: and really, if I was burying treasure, wouldn't that be like a, a nice little offsite? Like all these. You know, it's like a mad, 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 mad world. All these nutcases are on the main island. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's just right here if anyone had bothered to look. Right.
0: Under the W. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, so O'Connor has said in his book how Tobias frequently points out how all the drill holes around the money pit with the exclusion of, of 10X are only three square feet of explored area below 170 feet. And three square feet, that's it. And all those years, all that money. And that's where the bulk of the artifacts have come from, going down below 170 feet. Cement, iron, brass, china, all that stuff. Yeah. So he puts together the plan for the big dig. But what happens with that plan is is Black Monday comes along. Yeah, 1989, 88. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's getting harder and harder to attract investors to this project. Now it's, you know, 210 years old or whatever. And it's funny, this is about the period... Where I had just started to take an interest in it. I was like, oh, you know, in my life, I was like, what is this place? What is this thing? You know, and I'm reading all all about it. And back when I left off with it, however many years ago, Blankenship was the man. He was the guy and everybody thought he was going to be the one that was going to figure it out. Cut to he's now getting into his 90s. There's not a whole lot more he can do. It's time for yet someone else to get involved. And Dan, not to be morbid, but he's he's got to be wondering if he's going to be number seven. If seven must die, <laughs> well, it's going to be a real bummer. Spend your whole life there, and it's maybe it's going to get solved right after you. Yeah, he's not really donning a wetsuit and, and diving down in
1: there, but he's around, and so is his son. But now joining them are the latest two participants in The Great Search here, and they're two brothers from Michigan. Rick and Marty Lagina. These are the guys that are now featured on the History Channel show, The Curse of Oak Island. And so that just wrapped up its second season, I think, back here in November. And uh, they're prepared to uh, launch the uh, third season. Rick Lagina is is the kid at 11 years old who first sees this Reader's Digest article in 1965 originally published in the rotarian and we have a link to that of course yes. so that's what gets him all jazzed up you know as a young kid he's re- oh pirate treasure and adventure and and what is this thing and he got his brother marty They uh, own, it, they own property on the island right They own most of the island. And how did they pull that off? Well, this is the (laughs) – I was watching the series for research, and on one of the uh, bonus featurettes on the disc, they had interviews with them. And so I wanted to know, like, how how do they find out about this? I I know they've had an interest early on, or at least uh, Rick did. And Marty was saying he was leafing through a brochure about islands for sale. And I don't know. <laughs> that's what he said. And I don't know where he found this or that's, that's a common brochure you, you find at the counter of your Froegert shop. Yeah. But it was islands for sale. And he happened to see, like, oh, Oak Island's for sale. And he goes, he calls up his brother and said, hey, remember that thing, that island you, you were obsessed with? Well we could buy it now yeah cuz why now he's got a lot of money right yeah he's a very successful engineer you could say in the energy business i believe he's drilled for petroleum and uh, probably natural gas and things like that, that's so he's, from... he's got money and knowledge well, a lot of these guys have though a lot of them have been engineers and uh, had a little bit of money now he's not you know he doesn't have uh, Larry Ellison money or right. <laughs> you right. know it can't, it's not uh, unlimited pockets, but he's got a little bit to spend and uh, Rick i don't think so much he's a retired postal worker don't know what, in what position or whatever, but he's retired he's looking for a little adventure. they're great
0: brothers, and that 's why you like to see them on the show, and that's why you watch these shows. Well, you know some people you know have complained about that show. Oh, it's too slow. It's boring. I see this on the forums, the treasure hunting forums, and right. that sort of thing. When I actually first started watching, it, I was like, eh, I don't know. I stopped watching it myself because yeah. I yeah. was I felt like I knew more about the story. Well, you do now, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but now, well, yeah. especially now. Now right. though, with all the research that we've done, because what they, you know, only so much is happening. It takes a long time to make progress, and so what they do on that show is they they take time to explore the the lore behind the show, the stories, the yeah. you know, and. That, I think, is the part that other people are bored with. But well, to me, that's uh, yeah. kind of fascinating, especially now that we have all the background that we have and you, our dear listeners, have as well. Right. I think you would find the show interesting. Its ratings went way up. Its uh, finale and for season oh, it two was, was very high. So oh, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think more people great. are watching. So. Well, that's the thing. Look,
1: you've got to realize that
0: it's it's not unlike
1: Dumpster Wars or Chopper Wars or a shop that's doing all that where you, it's a day-to-day thing and you go to watch the personalities – you're watching the personalities here, but there, it's not like there's a ton of infighting. and uh, But also the show is about finding treasure. So it's like, how hard is that? It's like you can't right. plan. Well, at the end of season four, we're going to find the treasure. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then we'll wrap it up and then uh, you can buy it on DVD. And it's not like they're finding little things all the time. So they have to, they take trips to Scotland. And actually that plays into some of the stuff that we'll be talking about in our episode four of the series uh, for theories on what this is. But it is interesting because this is what's currently happening. And that's when I I remember when I first picked up the book, like what is happening now? What's happening with it? I hope someone's looking. And that's kind of something that's satisfying is that there's currently people looking. Now, I you know, they're using some new technology. And that was kind of the idea is that they have more advanced technology than Dan did back in the mid 70s. And and early 80s. So, yes, video, sonar, all these things have become much better. Uh, drilling, that seems to be about the same, you know, but they're still taking core samples. So what's happening is that they are still drilling down, trying to find the original pit because now they're not sure. Yeah. You know, it's been mm-hmm. refilled and filled with timbers. Blown and, up,
0: destroyed, <laughs> junk. Refilled. Yes. Yeah.
1: And, uh, so and they're you can't not even sure. trust
0: anything you bring up from it from not being from a prior expedition or something that's out of place because of all the pumping or it's, you right. know. Right. It's a it's, mess. It's a ro- yeah. It's yeah. a total it's – ma- it's been made of
1: mess of. It's a soup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. It yeah. was at the end of Breaker Morant. Oh, right. <laughs> Don't make a mess of it. So – which is what they've done. So <laughs> – The firing squad. His yes. Last, I know. It's a words. great yeah. – des- if I'm ever in that position, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they actually team up a little bit with Dan. He's in his early 90s. But they're showing him different finds. And they have found a few interesting things. They found a Spanish maravedi coin. You've heard of the term pieces of eight? Yeah. I uh, I have one. Really? Oh, cool. My uh, grandfather
0: collected coins. Oh, very nice. That's the finest coin in the collection.
1: Wow. That's pretty cool. Well, they found one of those. They found a coin that might be even older. It could even be Templar. Okay. Uh, But it's so corroded, it's hard to tell. But they have a bunch of different people... Marty's son, Alex, he's a young guy that's a diver and they have him going in and they have other people coming in like Craig Tester. He was Marty's business partner in the petroleum and energy exploration field. So he's coming in and he's putting his little bit of expertise and they have, of course, the show is putting together these different people to help them out. So there's a, you know, and a couple of them are Masons, which is kind of funny. Uh, So there's still Masons involved. Not I don't think Rick and Marty are but different – like Charles yeah, Barkhouse. They have, Rick and
0: Marty have their – they have a significant amount of invisible partners, don't they, that we're not
1: well, sure this is uh, this is what's been thought is that there are other silent partners or people who are investors that you don't see on the show, of course. You don't hear about too much. But they may have a hand in maybe guiding this or financially. So – well, and also uh, Rick and Marty, they have a vineyard, uh, Villa Mari. <laughs> so yeah. if you want to look at it, it's at villamarivineyards.com. And uh, fine, fine wines from Michigan, where they're from. So they, hopefully, they have a, a you know, if this all goes bust, they have a you know, adventure to fall back on. Yeah, sure. So anyway, they've been finding interesting little bits: a couple of coins, broken pottery, china, things like that. Nothing that conclusive, but they drilled down into core testing, and they did find what looked like cement and wood. So again, they're finding the same things as back previous in the, teams. They're back, have. This is
0: in the general area of where they think the money pit is. Yes, was. yeah. And again,
1: borehole ten X is still there. And so that's what they're focusing on. Oh, uh, so the Legenas are working on 10X right now? Yeah, that's kind of oh. where the show... Yeah, and I think when we watched it, we watched oh, yeah, one of I the saw later episodes. Them. I haven't right. seen as many as you have. That's what it is. So they've partnered up with Jay Hutton Pulitzer. Jay Hutton Pulitzer, I think. Yes, he, he's right. called the commander. Yes. And so commander. He's, he was kind of leading a dive team search of, of folks. And he's, he's a treasure hunter himself. So, you know, of course, he's involved. He's kind of very dramatic. But they build a platform and they send a couple of divers down. To look, but you it's know, a married again,
0: couple, right?
1: Yes, uh, Frog and Flash, a yeah. couple, a couple from Texas. That uh, that's their nicknames, but they do a lot of recovery diving, dangerous in some, in diving,
0: the, very dangerous.
1: Yeah, this is very dangerous. I mean, I know they they pump it up as being overly dramatic on the show. I'm, I'm sure the network and the producers do that. You know, a lot of a lot of zoom ins and flash cuts. Yeah, but if you get trapped and you get pinned down there. You could die. So yeah. it's, it's not – there's no joking around. It is actually very dangerous. And actually back in the uh, – I think in the 80s on one of the dives that Dan Blankenship was involved when they had a diver go down and he came up too fast and developed a very serious case of the bends. Right. And he survived but just barely and he'll never dive again. So anyway, there's there's lots of perils down there. You can get trapped. And that borehole down to where it goes into a 27-inch diameter area is filled with, again, junk and debris, pipes, planks. It's blocked up and those things can snag you. So anyway, it it was, the die was inconclusive, but one interesting thing, and this is, I think the big finale and not, no spoilers because we've actually already mentioned it here on the show. It's basically seeing the things that Dan Blankenship saw on the video, except now it's in 3d mapping sonar. And if you want to kind of get an idea of what it looks like is it it looks like an MRI. If you ever seen those kind of computer generated images except what's happening is that they're sending down this probe down this pipe because, as we just said, the main 27-inch entrance to that is all blocked up. They'd have to clear that out to get anybody down in there. Plus, when you're wearing a tank, an oxygen tank on the back, and it's only 27 inches, you don't have a lot of room to move. So it's very dangerous. So this is at least what they can do now. And it gets right into the cavity, the 7-foot-high cavity. And so what this thing does is it takes a sweep of the entire... Room, the t- the entire area, floor, the sides of the wall, and and the ceiling. And what they saw is it's actually kind of dramatic if you know the story because it is kind of what Dan described seeing on the video monitors back in nineteen seventy one. Back in nineteen seventy one, there is well, one the main thing there's there appears to be a large timber like a square railroad tie that's kind of coming down from the ceiling. I don't know if it touches, but it looks like a, a definitely like a, a man-made a definitely a man-made support, right. And not only that, there does appear to be two rectangular shapes, let's say, on the floor of this cavern, and also two tunnel openings that are kind of rectangular, okay. and uh, four to five, six feet high, something like that. So, yeah. So this is a legit room of it's,
0: mystery, it, uh, with there's two <laughs> boxes and a shelf with things on the shelf. It's more
1: than what appears to be natural erosion from the ocean, That's where we're at now, in this day. And sorry if there's any spoilers, but it really is just what Dan saw kind of on the video, and actually in better resolution. Back in 1971. Exactly. But you know, Scott, this all comes back to the original question from 1795. What's down there?
0: Well, that wraps up part three of our series on Oak Island. Join us in two weeks for part four, the last chapter on Oak Island, where we're really going to get into detail on all the theories about what Oak Island might actually be. Our theme was composed by Judson Crane and our sound design by Ryan McCullough. Thanks to Jim Creative Design for our logo. Most importantly, we want to thank our listeners. You can find us online at
1: AstonishingLegends.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Google+. Copyright Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Good night. Thank you.